All right, we good? It's, it's interesting that I don't have my mic on because we're going to talk about some years of silence here, so it works out. Um, I'll be the first to admit that, uh, that this is going to be a strange message, okay? So I apologize in advance. I have, a, I have a strong conviction that preaching is opening up the Word of God and looking at a text of scriptures, uh, something that he wrote uh, through men, uh, and, and, and my job to preach it is to just open up and, and, and look at the meaning and look at what was being said to those people and how it applies to us. And this morning we we're actually looking at 400 years of scriptural silence, okay? So it's very hard to exposit silence, to uh, look at uh, what was happening when God was not speaking, uh, at least scripturally uh, speaking. But here's why we're doing it. And here's why I think it's important that we're doing it. Uh, we're closing out a series in uh, the spring and the summer we've been in uh, the Minor Prophets. And the Minor Prophets, of course, is, are those books that close the Old Testament. Next week, uh, we will be starting a new series on the Gospel of John. Okay? And speaking of that, I want to talk to you for just a moment before we get going. Is um, I found as a pastor that there are two Sundays that people are most likely to come to church, and that's, of course, Christmas and Easter. And as a pastor, I've noticed that there are two seasons where people are most likely to kind of look at being in church, and that is, of course, the new year. As you make your New Year's resolution, people say, maybe I need to get my life right spiritually and so they look at like maybe I need to start going to church but also it's this time of year it's this next Sunday uh, after school starts back and everyone's saying okay we're getting back into a normal schedule and it's almost like a new year in a sense and that they really begin to think about well we we've gotten out of the habit of church maybe we should get back in and and begin to um to grow spiritually or, or to discover what church is all about. And so with that being said, two things I want you to think about is that we're starting a series on John. I mean, there is probably no uh, book of the Bible that is, is better at just revealing who Jesus was than just the amazing, impactful stories of, of the Gospel of John. And we're entering into a season of year uh, where people are considering coming to church. And so I ask you, do you have someone in your life that needs to know who Jesus is or needs to know more about who Jesus is. You have someone in your life that needs to be in church. Maybe this will be a great week uh, to go and invite someone as we start this season, as school starts back. And so I would encourage you to do that. So where we're standing this Sunday is, is kind of in between our, our close of the Old Testament and the beginning of the Gospel of John in the New. And what I've found is that it's almost like you go to sleep in the Old Testament and you wake up in a brand new world where things are very different from what they were in Malachi, which is where we closed last week. Here's how Malachi closes in, in chapter 4, uh, verse 4. It says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statuses and rules uh, that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, 
I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So that's how the Old Testament ends. And then next week, uh, we'll, be looking, uh, we'll be looking at the first 19 verses, but I'm just going to read the first paragraph here of John. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome And so what I want us to begin to kind of get a feel for is what happened, okay? Like what happened between the time in the Old Testament where God kind of closes his revelation uh, to Israel in that way and suddenly we have Jesus coming on the scene and things are, are kind of set up different. Human history is different. Why? Because there's 400 years. It's 400 years of human history, and it's very important history. And so this week, I'll be honest, in reading about this, there were times where I said, so that's what it was about. That's why Israel was like that. That's why the Jews hated this country or hated foreigners. And that's how, that's where the Pharisees came from. I just found myself just joyfully getting more out of the New Testament that I've studied my whole life when I begin to grab some context of what happened between the close of the old and the beginning of the new. So why was Christ sent when he was? Did the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, did they just throw uh, a dart at the timeline of human history and wherever it hit, said, hey, that's where you're going to go down? Of course not. The Scriptures tell us that that God has always had a plan. Before the foundations of the world, God had a plan for His Son. That concept is made known to us in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So what we're going to see is that it wasn't just throwing a dart at the timeline. There was a reason why God sent His Son. It was the fullness of time, as Scripture says. It was that the timing was right. It was perfect. And there were things that had happened that had set the stage for the perfect moment into which Christ would enter into the world. And not only that, but after He completed His mission, a world had been created in those 400 years where it would be easy for the good news of Christ's birth and death and resurrection to spread across the world. Okay, so initially it's going to feel like a history lesson. I'm just going to be uh, up front. I almost let Jessica come in and do this part because there's a lot of history uh, and some amazing, amazing uh, parts of American, or not American, of course, uh, we weren't on the scene yet, but of world history. So what I want us to do is look at the intertestamental timeline of what happened in those 40 years, and then we're going to come back with Scripture with some things I believe we can learn about what happened 
uh, to the Jews in those 400 years. In 445, we have the completion of the wall under the leadership of Nehemiah. And we have Jews are under the rule of the Persians, okay? At the close of the Old Testament, up until 331 B.C., Israel remained under Persian rule. Now, what did that look like? They they had somewhat amount of freedom. Uh, They could worship. Uh, They still got to worship how they wanted uh, to worship. And so they were under the Persian rule, uh, but they had some freedom. And then we have the time of the Greek Empire, the Hellenistic period. And what happened in 331 is that Persia was conquered by Alexander the Great. Uh, who was thought of as the greatest uh, military leader of all time. He conquered the known world at the age of 24. Like, God, that makes me feel really insufficient of what I've accomplished at 41. At 24, he had conquered the known world. And he was much more than just a great military leader. He was a star pu- pupil of Aristotle. Uh, and Aristotle... He had a passion, okay? He was a philosopher that had a passion for uniting the world, okay? He didn't want to just conquer the world. He wanted to kind of conquer it. He wanted, uh, what uh, Aristotle didn't want to conquer the world. He just wanted to help the world kind of be one, one culture. Hey, we need to, if we're all going to get along, we need to, like, have the same culture, have the same language so we can do trade and all of that type stuff. And so, even though, uh, Alexander the Great was more of a great military leader. He still took on that philosophy of what he was doing was conquering the world, and then he wanted to unite it. He wanted it to be kind of one place with one, uh, one scientific, disco- scientific method and discovery and one in language and one in culture. Um, and this would have a huge impact into the world in which Christ enters this is why the New Testament is written in Greek. B.C., Alexander the Great died at the age of 34, and there was this great power struggle among his generals, and finally they settled in to uh, two kingdoms. Uh, Ptolemy, uh, kingdom to the north, and the uh, Seleucids to the south. And, and so between them was this very fertile, very nice piece of land called Palestine, okay? So you had these, it had been divided into two kingdoms, the north and the south, and in the middle was kind of, Israel became just like this football that they just kind of tossed back and forth. In 198 B.C., Antiochus the the third, the uh, Seleucid leader, uh, peeled away Israel from the southern kingdom and began to really ramp up Hellenization, really really trying to downplay Judaism and, and say, I mean, y'all just need to be more like us, you need to be more like us Greeks, you need to uh, dump that old philosophy of your religion and take on Greek philosophy, it's better. And at first the pressure was slight, and then it got, uh, as we'll see in, in a moment, uh, it got ramped up. And it was much like secularization is today. It's them saying, you know what, your religion, it just doesn't fit into the new world. You need to dump that. It's out of date and, and go with these new philosophies. And we see that a group of people, the Hasodians, um, this group of Jews that wanted to preserve the Jewish religion, they said, man, we're God's people and God's done great things for us. We've got to, we've got to stay 
with our religion, the religion that God established. We're God's chosen people, so we need to obey God. And also, after the time of Malachi, they really begin to grab a clue that the reason that they had fallen under so much misfortune is because they were really disobedient to God, that they had disobeyed God's law time and time again, and which I think was a correct assessment. And so they just really began, upset, began being obsessed with, hey, we need to obey the law, and we don't need to, to listen to all this other philosophy that's coming in. And among the Hasodians, groups begin to rise, uh, subgroups including a group known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees started as godly Jewish men who wanted to preserve their faith from corruption. They were much like the first Puritans, that just, hey, we just really want to serve God and, and we want to keep, uh, keep ourselves obedient to what he said in his word. They were just wanted to be very careful about all this other stuff that was coming in. They, they wanted to be careful. They were loved, really, uh, the Pharisees were the group that were loved by the commoners in, Jew, in, in, in the Jewish people. So, like, the Pharisees just started off as good old boy fundamentalists that everybody really liked. They were just godly men that cared about preserving the faith of Israel. They actually initially had much to admire about them. At one point, 800, 800 Pharisees were crucified because they wouldn't back down from the truth of God. And yet, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, this group eventually stood against Christ. This group that started out as trying to preserve the religion and, and to, to love God are the very group that eventually stood in the way of, of, of Christ's work and of the church. In 175 B.C., a man, a ruler arose, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, had, he's called that because he had an epiphany that he was God, that he was a, a, a God at least. And he was awful. I'm not sure Hitler has anything on Antiochus Epiphanes. His anti-Jew uh, reforms included making observance of the Sabbath, circumcision, and even possession of Hebrew scriptures a capital offense, a capital crime. In 167, horror of all horrors to the Jews, he renamed the Jewish temple for the Greek god Zeus. He marched into the temple, okay, the temple with a pig and, and, and killed the pig on the altar, which is kind of the, uh, what's called the abomination of desolation, the original one. Uh, that many believe was prophesied by Daniel. And so he was pushing the Jewish people, and it's, it's no surprise that among the Jewish people, a heart of rebellion began to kind of come up in them because of how harshly they were being treated. And that led to the time uh, of the Maccabeans. Uh, I remember when Mel Gibson... Um, made the passion for the Christ. And I saw him in an interview because it was such a popular movie. And they said, are you going to do any more biblically themed works? And, uh, and he said, I don't know if I will or not, but I, 
I know what I would probably do. He said, I would probably do it on the time of the Maccabeans. Uh, and I was like, oh, it's kind of weird. I, I don't know much about that. But reading this week, I was like, this would make an amazing movie. In 164, a guy named Matthias, a priest, was asked to, to do this pagan sacrifice on an altar. And he said, I'm not doing it. I'm not going against my God. And so what happens is they bring in another Jew. Uh, he's going to do the sacrifice. And they bring in a soldier to make sure it gets done. Matthias kills them both because he's like, it's not going to happen. And so after that, uh, Matthias got a group of men and they begin to, to attack the outpost uh, of the military and begin to, to conquer them. They would attack at night and, and they were using guerrilla warfare. And Matthias ended up passing away, but his son Judas took up the mantle and despite time and time again they would be outnumbered by the foreign army like six to one and they kept winning. So much so that eventually they regain control of the temple, uh, which is celebrated in the festival of Hanukkah. Okay, so you've heard of Hanukkah, and that's what was, was happening here. Finally, in 142, the occupying foreigners said, we've had enough. We don't want to deal with the Maccabeans and these Jewish people. They are a, they are a tough group of people, so they got out of the country. So imagine this, after all these centuries of just being taken advantage of, of being tossed around from nation to nation and being sent off uh, in, in Babylon and, 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 and exile and all of these things, you're finally, you have this freedom that not, not only were you just given, you fought for it and you fought hard for it and there they were. They were not just enjoying an independence, they were enjoying an independence that they had won, that they had fought for. And it stayed that way for the next 84 years or so, in which many Jews consider the golden years of Judaism, of their, of their national heritage, at least. But then in, in 63 B.C., Rome ended Israel's independence. And that's how we find things as Christ enters the scene uh, in the Gospel of John and, and all the Gospels. So just 63 years before Christ's birth, the Jews had been enjoying an amazing freedom. And we wonder why Jews had such a bad attitude about Rome, about the tax collectors that were serving Rome. It was just a generation ago that they were a free people worshiping and doing as they please. They had heard from their grandparents what it was like to be free. And no wonder they had such a wounded national pride and an us-versus-them mentality in the New Testament. No wonder they had struggled with, uh, in the early church with the salvation of the Gentiles because they had been mistreated by so many. It would be like America being invaded 84 years after the American Revolution when they win and they get their freedom and for 84 years they're setting up democracy, things are going great, and then another country comes in and takes over, you know, that's not going to make you happy. So that's what we find 
uh, going on in the New Testament. Uh, during this time, hope of a strong kingship was at an all-time high. That's kind of the one thing that they didn't really get that they wanted in, the, in those 84 years. It's just a strong, like a David kind of king that, that would rule. They, they, they never really got that during that time, and that was what was missing. And so now there's this desire in them, hey, we need a national leader that will take us back to the way things were less than a century ago. We need a king that's going to do that for us. And during this time, the, the priesthood got very political because it was no longer about the Jews choosing a person of lineage. It was about Rome actually would choose the high priest. So when you look at the New Testament and you see uh, the high priest is, kind of looks like a political office almost, it really was because Rome chose the high priest. And you see the Herods, uh, that we'll run into in the, the New Testament uh, several times. It was a family uh, of rulers that Rome set up. Before. They were foreign. They were set up in Jew as, as the king, but they were more of a figurehead that were never really accepted because they had no lineage to, to Israel. So Israel, they never acknowledged them as king unless they really wanted something because these guys were figureheads of Rome. Okay, history lesson over. Uh, what can we learn from these 400 years of history? Well, when we look, first we looked at when we, we see that when we look closely, even in the silence, we can see the sovereign hand of God always at work. Proverbs 16.9 says this, The heart of man plans his way but the Lord established his steps. We see history shifting in these 400 years as Christ is approaching. We see, we see history shifting and we see rulers and what they're doing is they're saying, hey, we would have a lot of power and things would be better if we made the world smaller. If we just all kind of adopted the same kind of cultures and, and all of these things and, and we just tried to find a way to all get along and, 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 and be smaller even as we're bigger. Um, and even though that was on their heart for their kingship's sake, we know that God was preparing a world for Christ to come into and for that message to, to spread out across the world. They, the, they were planning their way in their heart, but the Lord were establishing their steps in preparation for his son. Here are some ways that the Hellenistic uh, and Roman reforms uh, made the world fertile for the gospel and, and a gospel that would be on the move. The Greek language, as we've already talked about, just a, more of a common language made it easier for people uh, to, uh, to hear uh, the gospel because many of them shared that language. We have uh, the Roman peace. Rome uh, during the time, during those uh, early years uh, of Christ and, and, uh, and the church, there wasn't a lot of war. There were scrim uh, skirmishes, but there weren't huge things of war, uh, pockets of war. So Rome, there was a peace that kind of allowed the thing, people to not be preoccupied with war, but to kind of um, look to this uh, for Christianity to kind of begin to make its move. There was transportation. We hear about Roman roads, right? Uh, because of they, they just had these amazing roads that suddenly you could travel 
faster and further than you ever have. They had this uh, amazing uh, mail system Rome had established on these roads to get messages everywhere. And so it was a time where the world had gotten smaller in that regard. There was a cosmopolitan spirit. It was about like New York City, you know, like everybody just come. Uh, we're all from different places and we're all just going to live together and, and everything's going to be fine. There was that spirit where everybody was kind of together. Uh, when we go to Nicaragua, it's sometimes the places we minister to are so rural and people are so scattered throughout the countryside, it's, that makes it challenging to reach people uh, in those places. But if you go into a city where everybody kind of comes from and they live there in the city, it's a lot easier for uh, a message to spread, and that's what was happening in this time. And closely related to that was that cross-cultural uh, barriers were breaking down. Okay, there were less, uh, less bar cultural barriers. Um, Christianity, we see, was under Rome initially protected as a Jewish, Jewish sect. So they saw Christianity beginning, so there was a protection that, hey, the Jews can worship, and uh, we're just kind of going to leave them alone. Well, in the early days, Christianity, was a, they saw it as a sect of Judaism, so they left it alone until finally it began to grow like a wildfire. And they said, this isn't this is something altogether different, and that's when uh, they began to change their policy on that. And then judicial benefits, we see some law uh, and order. Uh, for instance, Paul, time and time again, was able to, to call on things uh, concerning his, um, his citizenship uh, to kind of get him out of some pickles that he was in because there was some law and order. Truly, it was the fullness of time that God sent his son. So how do we apply that to our own lives? We must know that that was not a one-time thing. That God's timing and shaping of the world is always perfect. God did not just place Christ at the right time to carry out His mission. God placed you. He placed you. He placed you at the right time to impact His kingdom, to carry out His mission. We talk about a small world then, but the world has never been smaller than it is right now. When you look at technology and when you look at transportation changes in the last hundred years, almost going from horse and buggy to getting to the moon, travel is totally different. So the world is smaller. We have the internet, which brings all kinds of possibilities for sin, but it also brings all kinds of smallness to the world where we can reach out to people. We can maintain relationships from high school of people that may need to hear about Christ and through social media. Social media can be so bad, right? But there's also so many great things that can happen through it. We can... We can in a world where missionaries used to, used to just sell off into a ship, never to be encouraged by the church, we, we were able, you could right now in this service, reach out and send a message to a missionary and just encourage them. The world is small. The transportation, while back then they had some nice roads, you can get on a plane tomorrow and in a couple of days, be anywhere in the world to share the gospel, to become a missionary. 
to go on a short-term mission trip and go support a missionary. We have some language things. Uh, English is spoken by many people, and, and uh, we are more familiar with language and, and how to communicate. And uh, we, have, uh, we have people in other countries that are putting together written language just so the gospel can be communicated to them with the Hambrices that were here uh, this year, uh, sharing that with us. We have a knowledge of the globe. We where they, they just knew the known world, right? We know the whole world. We can look at the globe and all the land masses, and, and I'm sure we are still discovering new groups of people, absolutely. But man, we almost just see what needs to happen for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Could it be that just as God prepared the world for, for Christ's first coming, He is also preparing a world in our time to usher in his second coming. Just like those 400 years were transformative, the last 100 years in this world have been huge in making the world smaller. Folks, do we really believe in the sovereign hand of God at work in our lives? Will we, like Jesus in his time, be obedient to impact the world into which God has placed us at the time he has placed us? Who might God bring into your life this very week to share the good news of Christ with? Who might He place, have placed in your life for you to invite to church next Sunday? You are not in this town by accident. You're not in this church by accident. You're not at your job by accident. You're not in your home with your particular kids by accident, everything in your life right here in 2018 is no less planned out by the sovereign hand of God than the arrival of His Son to carry out His mission. God is always sovereign, always ordering the world so that we can impact the mission of the church. Second, what I think we see in those years was that when God is not doing what we want him to do, we can miss the amazing things that he is doing that are far greater. John 1.11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So why did God's own people reject his son? Essentially because he's not what they were looking for. They were looking to getting back to, to independence, and they wanted Rome kicked out of the country. They wanted to be their own people again, ruled by the rulers, that the king that they had selected, and they wanted someone who would come in and by force overthrow the government, like the Maccabeans did. And that's what they were longing for. They were looking for a warrior king, not a servant king. They were looking for a king that would kill and avenge, not a king that would die. They wanted national freedom while they lived on this earth, but what God was offering was a spiritual freedom that they needed so much more and that would last for all of eternity. Rome was not their greatest enemy. Their sin was their greatest enemy. Their worst problem was that a holy God 
that they had sinned against the holy God. And that they had no hope apart from a servant king, a king who would come and who would die in their place. Don't get so caught up in looking for the Jesus that you want that you miss the Jesus that you need. If you're looking for a Jesus of of pure wrath that will take down all the bad people, I have news for you that Jesus is full of grace for mankind. And that's good news. You know why? Because you're one of the bad people that you want taken down. But if you're looking for a Jesus of pure grace that will accept you just the way you are and will never ask you to change, I've got news for you. Jesus is a God of wrath. And one day he's going to crush all those who love their sin more than him. That's actually good news because our sin is misery and obedience to Christ is joy. He's never going to fit into your tiny box. He's never going to check all your boxes. Just like he didn't check their boxes in their day. But he was exactly what they needed. And some of them actually, we know, eventually understood. And if he could fit into our tiny box, if he could check all the boxes we wanted him to check, what kind of Savior would he really be? Savior of our own imagination, not the Savior we need. Don't miss the Christ that you need this morning because you are blinded by the Jesus you want. And thirdly, when we are not careful, even good intentions can be corrupted by sin and turn us from friends of God to His enemies. So I want to talk about the Pharisees for a minute. These men started as a group of men desiring to ardently defend truth when men who desired to be holy and to have a nation of people desiring to be holy, to have their faith uncorrupted by new secular philosophy, they were initially great, these were initially great intentions. We know that there were, even in Jesus' day, there were men like Nicodemus and and many believe that Joseph of Arimathea that uh, gave Christ his tomb, many believe that he was a Pharisee. We know that even in that day, there were a few good men in that group. But somewhere along the way, the Pharisees and the desire to uphold the law of God forgot about the grace and the love of God. Somewhere in their pursuit of an outward holiness, they forgot God's main concern of the heart of a person. They lost their way so much that when Christ showed up preaching a message of grace and love, it infuriated them and they set themselves up as the people who were in opposition of the Son of God. Here's what Jesus says about them, part of what Jesus says about them in Matthew 23, 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Strong words for men who started out holy. Men who started out in a pursuit of the law of God. Despite their vast knowledge of the law and despite everyone looking up to them and viewing them as the men who knew God, they did not know God because they didn't know love. We see in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The Pharisees were men that sought the law and sought holiness apart from love. And folks, I fear that at times we can tread dangerously close to the same cliff that the Pharisees fell off of. In our desire to proclaim and protect the truth, we can too often see others as not the lost to be saved, but the enemy to be false. We can be so caught up in the pursuit of being holy that it becomes an image we want to portray and not the thing that we know that only comes from God. Let us be both people that desire to hold tightly to the truth of God's Word, but let us be people that do it in love. As Ephesians 4.15 says, rather speaking the truth in love. See, the Pharisees were caught up in truth or what they thought was the truth or what they were writing down that, that they consider the truth, but they weren't doing it in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That's when that happens. That's when we grow in every way is when we're speaking the truth and speaking it in love. And just briefly, you know, national pride can be a great thing. I think, I think it was great for the Jews to, to have a pride for who they were as a nation. I mean, God had... God had chosen them, and, and that was their identity, and there's nothing wrong with that, but they had so got caught up in that that they had lost the worldwide vision of what God was wanting to do with all the nations. And we can do that as well, even though national pride is, is not an evil thing, it's not something that we uh, should not have at all, but it is something we need to keep in check and never because we're so prideful about being Americans or, or what's going on here and, and our great heritage that we forget that God's doing something globally that we're supposed to be a part of. Let's do that. So God has placed you as He placed Christ in this moment to further His mission. He's placed you at just the right time. In the fullness of time, he put Christ on this earth, and in the fullness of time, he pushed, put you on this earth. Jesus is who he is and not who you want him to be. Don't miss the Jesus that you need because you're caught up in the mission and the Jesus you want. 
And let us be people that maintain, yes, a pursuit of holiness, a desire for uncorrupted truth, but let us do it in love. We can. We can do both. Christ did both. And let us be people that fight for those things. Ask our musicians to come, and as you stand, and as I said, I know this was a peculiar message. If you're new here, we don't do history lessons every week, and, uh, and as we have today, um, but hopefully that will shine a light in the coming weeks as we study uh, the Gospel of John and the world in which Christ came and lived and died and rose. Um, may, God, may God bless all of history, even in the years when he appeared to be silent. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you're a God that even when you're silent, you are working. God, that you are a sovereign God that has placed us right where we're supposed to be. God, help us to be like Christ. Be right where he was and, and where you placed him. He obeyed you and fulfilled your great mission. God, help us all to do that. Help us to go and to witness to people that you bring into our path this week. To invite them to church. God, help us not to miss the main thing that you're doing because of a bunch of lesser things that we want you to do. God, help us to hold the truth tightly, but help us to hold it with a loving heart and a loving spirit. God, move in us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray.